You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. I just want to just make note of how great this worship team has served us in this last couple months by being online and just allowing us to stay connected. And so if you see Caleb and the team, will you just you give them a big thank you? They have just been a blessing to me, and I know they've been a blessing to you. Uh, I'm, I'm recovering a little bit. I grabbed old coffee backstage, and I drank it, and it could be months old. I'm not sure, so I'm going to try to get through it. Uh, as I recover, you guys can go ahead and get your Bibles out, whether it's on your phone or printed. We're going to be in Titus 3 today. We're going to get there rather quickly right here in the beginning. Uh, but I did rem- remind you guys that if you're here, uh, you are welcome to send us prayer requests. We do pray over those over the week. And if you're at home, please send those in the comment section. You can actually, even in here, I'll allow it, okay? Not that I allow. You can text our main office number, 824-2252, with your prayer request, and we will make sure that we can pray over those things. Uh, today is a, an important day, and I know when I say that, that probably puts expectations on things, and hopefully I won't disappoint you, but uh, it's an important day because of the scripture that we're in, the reason that we're um, in Galatians. I, I don't know why, but it seems appropriate for the time that we are in, certainly as we watch the television stations and read our social media pages and see all the chaos that is happening in the world tonight, today, last night. And so let's pay particular attention to what God is speaking in his word and speaking to us by his spirit. So let's just jump into Titus 3 today. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1, all the way down to 11. It'll be on the screens if you don't have your Bibles, but join me if you do. Verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness And the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissension, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. 
As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is, is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. This is God's word written through inspiration by the Apostle Paul, written to a believer and a fellow church leader in the area of Crete. Crete being the island that we find on our modern day maps that is owned by Greece today. And what we should have some concern in and take some comfort in as we look at the church here in Crete in the year 63 AD, in a letter that was written by Paul in a prison in Rome, we can take comfort and concern that the same issues that they're dealing with in practicing and forgetting the commands and ideas that are stated in the scripture are still things that we forget and have trouble with today. And so we need to have or heed the caution that Paul writes here because the word that he writes here, this word remind, isn't the past tense verb that he starts out, remind. It's not remember this as you're going from the gym, pick up the carton of milk on your way home, but this is the future term, active version of remind. And so what this means is Paul wrote this particularly for the Cretan church, but God is going to use it for his glory for the future church, you and I together. These are things that we are to keep remembering as long as we live. And if we look in this scripture, there are probably at least five things that we can pull out that are worth noting that we are to remember as believers, instructed to be reminded of. And you can, you can as I list these things, you can, you can do your own scale of one to ten on how you're doing with these things. Uh, the first thing he reminds us of is to submit to authorities and rulers. Submit to authorities and rulers. Second is that we would be obedient. Third is that we're ready to do every good work. The fourth, and we'll kind of categorize a bunch of things together. Essentially, he's saying, do not be led by astray by our flesh of sin into old things. We are new creations. And fifth is that we remember that God saved us. We didn't save ourselves, that God saved us. So submit to authorities and rulers, be obedient, be ready for good works in every season. Don't be led astray by our old sinful self into old sinful ways, and to remember that it is God that saved us. And so Paul is reminding the church in Crete in 63 AD, who are struggling to submit to rulers and authorities, unknowing of what it means to be good citizens, who are full of dissension and divisions, quarrelsome attitudes and pride, who need to be reminded to be obedient, not to man, but obedient to the good works in which God has prepared for us on this earth. A people who needed help in seeing the necessity of those works as essential to God's salvation plan a people who are being led by their own sinful ways and have run astray from the goodness and loving kindness of God that saved them. They have forgotten their first love. Now, why would God find it necessary for us to continually be reminded of such things that are written here in Titus chapter 3? And the answer, as you may know, is that we have the same inclination of waywardness that the hymnist Robert Robinson wrote about in the song, Come Thou Found. We have the same waywardness today as the church in Crete had then. Robinson writes in his song, he says, Let thy goodness like a fetter. The word fetter is a chain. 
So let your goodness, like a chain, bind my wondering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Maybe you know that song. We are prone to wonder from the God that we love. And that is an issue today as much as it is in AD 63 for the Christian church. And that is equal parts concerning and equal parts comforting. Concerning because it is still as disruptive and destructive to God's kingdom and his people today, but comforting because the plethora of grace that was available to that church then is still available to us today. And so we're going to take our time today to highlight and focus on these attributes that Paul distinguishes as qualities that brought us salvation, the goodness and the kindness of God. Paul wrote, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. God's goodness and kindness changed the story of history. And they are still the tools that His believers today, we agents of reconciliation, are to use to restore peace to the world today, declaring that God has made peace with man through Christ, that we would show others in the world an otherworldly love and joy and peace that we have found in Christ and the cost that he's paid for us on the cross. And so let us focus our time today on God's goodness and kindness and how it works in our lives. You know, in my early years of marriage, I would do a plethora of practical jokes on my wife uh, from hiding in various places in the house. It didn't matter how small it was. I could cram myself in there if it meant I could scare my wife. And so she would walk in the house, ah! and then I would put fake spiders. Yes, I'm that awful. I would put fake spiders in various places uh, because I'm just honest, I got a little sadistic gratification from hearing my wife screams. Uh, one of my favorite tricks was to sneak into uh, the bathroom as my wife was showering. I got her permission, don't worry. Uh, and I would turn the hot water to ice cold water, right? And the giddiness that I found in my soul should make you question my qualification for pastoring. <laughs> and she would scream, don't do that! And, but what I heard was, I've never loved you anymore. Please keep doing this. I don't know if you ever had cold water thrown on you, but it's exhilarating. Equal parts breathtaking, and you find yourself fully alert in a millisecond. You're at the height of awareness. And so when Paul writes, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, what he is insinuating is the same moment of our lives where the goodness and the kindness of God become so evident to us that we become aware, and it changes the flavor of our life forever. It is an awakening to see ourselves as we fully are, broken and prideful, wandering in my heart, and to see the magnitude of the kindness and the goodness of God that He's displayed for us. That is salvation. That is, it's not a prayer. It's not salvation comes when we are aware of the ice cold awakening of God's goodness and kindness in our life, and we say, I need that. That is salvation. 
That is when God saved us. Not by our effort, not by our rightness, not by our efforts, but His goodness and kindness drawing us towards Him. Paul writes in Romans 2, he wrote in chapter, in chapter 2, verse 4, Or do you despise the riches of His kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? And so it is God's kindness that is the welcome mat that invokes a fallen humanity to come back home again. That God has moved towards His creation in loving kindness because He has made peace with us. And the fullest expression of God's kindness to humanity is the person of Jesus Christ. The letter that was written to the church in Ephesus in the chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, Paul wrote this. He says, He also raised us up with Him and has seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift. It is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. Jesus Christ is the kindness of God. He is kindness on two legs. Coming to die for an unwilling creation. Willingly dying that we might live and be found whole through faith in Christ. And upon our faith in Jesus, we're given the Holy Spirit of God who reshapes our life, who brings dead things back to life, who binds the characteristics and nature of God that were implanted in us from birth as His image bearers. He binds them together and multiplies them and makes us a more complete image of His Son, Christ. All of that for the glory and the power of Christ and God to be known as broken creations are made renewed made into something completely different than they were. And in doing so, humanity and its changing displays the power and the love of God that others might cry out as they see God in us. They might cry out to God themselves. And we've been walking through these benefits of the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit in our life. And we say that the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the evidences of the God of the universe in the life of the believer. And they don't grow one by one. They grow at the same time, interconnected to one another Last week, we started talking about the benefits of the fruit that are outwardly seen by others. Previous to that, we talked about love and joy and peace, and we said that those are in our relationship with God. They're in our vertical relationship with God. Love, joy, and peace. Patience, kindness, and goodness are the outward workings of a life that has found love, joy, and peace in our life. We are free to express them because of what we have in Jesus. And so we said patience involves long-suffering. It's an endurance in presence. It's a stick in difficult situations. Kindness and goodness are the ice water 
that splashes onto humanity that cause a broken creation to wake up and notice something different, just as it was for you and I when salvation found us by the kindness and the goodness of God. God showed it to us, and now we reflect and show it to the world that others might see the love and the beauty of God within us. And so in our culture, in our day, these words kindness and goodness are all over the map when we want to come to define them. We sometimes see kindness as being nice or just simply displaying pleasantry. And we define good as just being better than average. How was that steak? It was, it was good. It wasn't great. Those are sort of the definitions that we work with. Kindness, particularly, can be loaded with self-motivating factors. Being kind can cause our day to be navigated easier. And so if I give somebody a wave or a smile to let them know I'm okay, it means I don't have to engage with that person in a conversation, and I can just keep going on my way. If I give a little head nod, that means they're going to stay at their distance. So there's some calculations in being kind because it makes my day a little easier. And we all want to be qualified as a good person. Every one of us wants to be known as good, and we assume that we are a good person. And even if other people don't tell us that we're a good person, we will justify and rationalize how we are a good person. So we can trash somebody completely, but we'll find the one thing that we did right and say, see, I am a good person. And so understanding Kindness and goodness is vital for us as believers. Because when Jesus says that we are the city on the hill, a light that cannot be hidden, when we are salt and light, salt and light is our images, images of what it means to be good and kind. Images of what it means to be good and kind. In the Greek, the words for kindness and goodness are Christotes and agathosuni. And if you would just read Galatians 5, you might assume that kindness and goodness are interchangeable and there's no distinction. But anytime Paul, in our word, writes a list, there is distinction to each word. And so, yes, goodness and kindness go hand in hand, but there is distinction to these words. And so we're going to spend our time breaking them down a little bit. Kindness, this word Christotes, invokes the idea of compassion and generosity. Goodness, agathosune, invokes the idea of holiness and character. Both certainly denote generosity towards one another, with its each, each with its own unique twist. And so kindness is compassion and generosity. It is to have a gracious disposition. Kindness implies sweetness. To be soft and warm and welcoming. Barry Corey wrote a book called Love Kindness. And in that book, he describes this principle of biblical kindness as, as a person who receives others well. He describes them as being a receivable person, that they just are welcoming and they embrace you. They want what's best for you. They're inquisitive at what your needs are. And so kindness is a sweet disposition of grace that welcomes. And kindness is the absence of assumption and instant judgment. We are guilty at times of meeting and interacting with people and making assumptions instantly at the kind of people they are. 
And we let those assumptions dictate our response and our willingness to care and listen. But true kindness doesn't see each other through my own lens. True kindness sees one another through the eyes of Jesus. Because in order for me to be kind to others, I need to first put myself in their shoes and think what it is that I would want if I were them and then to do it for them. Kindness lives out the golden rule that we find in our scripture. The golden rule that says that we should do for others whatever we wish others would do for us as written in the gospel of Matthew. That is the embodiment of kindness. Jesus is the embodiment of kindness. And we are to follow his example. Jesus consistently showed kindness to others in his journey, constantly interrupted in his way, never a moment to himself, kindness in all circumstances, kindness to the woman who grabs his cloak, kindness to the people who followed him, thousands of people hungry and starving, instantly giving giving them food, kindness to the woman who was caught in adultery. Jesus displays kindness. And not only that, Jesus extends that kindness to us. Because on the cross, we see a radical kindness from Christ who took from us a death that we deserved to give to us a life that we never would ever, ever know. That is the kindness of Christ. And that is where our kindness is rooted. It's not rooted in how much I could get by being kind. It's not rooted in how much easier life could be if I'm kind. My kindness is a reflection of Christ's kindness, a sacrificial, costly, sacrificing, gracious kindness. The kindness that was extended to me by Christ that I didn't deserve and I didn't earn is the kindness that we extend to others, not expecting others to pay it back or give me anything of value in return. And it is the Spirit of God that cultivates that sort of kindness and grows it and then displays it to others. Because my kindness isn't self-seeking and benefit for others or myself, but it is backwards remembering as I abide in what Jesus Christ has already done for me, as I abide in who he is. Because what we do shows who we are. And so goodness, this other word, goodness is holiness and character in action. Agathosuni. It's active even aggressive goodness. In our English language, we're going to find pages of definition on good or goodness. But in the Greek, there's only one particular definition of good. It's even more than an excellence in moral character. It is moral character energized, expressing itself in active good. Goodness is about being upright and virtuous as a person. It's about seeking moral excellence and integrity. Goodness wants things to be done in a way that God would approve it. Goodness wants for ourselves to be more like the God in us and less like ourselves. Goodness puts a demand on us, but it is actively displayed in doing good works for others. Good works that point the world to Jesus. Paul wrote later in the book of Galatians in chapter 6 that we, when given the opportunity, should do good to everyone, especially the household of faith. 
And so the command to do good means that we do what is right and virtuous, not according to my own standard, but that which is the standard of God. Goodness is about what pleases and is perfect in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of man. And we are are called to do what is right and good to all, that they may come to know the God that we serve. And listen, don't confuse goodness for weakness. Goodness is strong. Goodness does not lack passion for others to be virtuous. It does not lack desire for others to be raised up, to called upwards, to be virtuous themselves. God sometimes can can discipline his children in severity, but it is for their good. As a parent, we sometimes, we, we correct our children that they would be good adults, and that is good. We want people to walk higher and farther than they know that they can. Goodness calls people up. But listen, goodness isn't a condition of fallen humanity. The Word says that there is no one good. Goodness is Godness in us. The goodness that we have is the God that is in us, expressing Himself to the world. So let's talk about why these things These ideas of kindness and goodness are so important. And why we must be a people that reflect kindness and goodness to the world. Kindness and goodness change the flavor. Kindness and goodness change the flavor of everything. If we are willing to put ourselves in other people's shoes, and if goodness that we want for others and ourselves has a desire to give virtue and be virtuous and call others up to be virtuous. That is ice water to the world. It disturbs the force, as you Star Wars fan may say. Not that the force is bad. People notice it. And for the Christian, doesn't mean that we want praise for being kind and good. For the Christian, kindness and goodness is a reflection of of the Father who demonstrated and gave it to me. And I can't help but believe this world needs kindness and goodness right now. I've been up late the past few nights. Maybe you have been too. Watch the news, the riots and demonstrations and protests in the wake of a, of a death of a man named George Floyd in Minneapolis. And my heart is broken. Uh, It's grieving. People are angry and sad and fearful, as if dealing with a global pandemic wasn't enough. People are already divided, fearful, angry. So this feels just like another thing to throw into the pressure cooker. And my fear is that this thing will explode that at some point the pressure in culture will get to be so much that somebody will do something so evil and heinous and awful that it will bring people to their senses and see that anger and division and violence are never the answer. But listen, violence will fill the void where kindness and goodness are absent. Because they are both earth-shaking. 
and awakening. The world needs kindness and goodness, doesn't it? But the problem may be that we are waiting on the world to show kindness and goodness when it is us who are responsible to display the attributes of God. Kindness and goodness are, are not attributes of a fallen world. They are the nature and characteristics of a holy and loving God that is at work within humanity. And they are known and grown in the Spirit of God that it lives with His people. And so Christian, know that it is us, up to us to show the world what it means to be kind and good. But we have to put our swords down doesn't mean that we don't hold on to truth, doesn't mean that we don't have good doctrine. We have to get off our screens and off our couches where we're being moved into deeper divisive opinion and rhetoric and get on our knees and pray that God would give us opportunities to be kind and good to the world because it's the only way we change the flavor. If not for us, it will be violence. I know some on the media have said, or saw it, people shouting it, love to all that have love for all. I hate that phrase. And I don't hate many things. Love to all who have love for all. Christians, that's not our phrase Because we serve a God, Jesus Christ, who said this in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5. He said that you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise. Listen to the goodness of our God. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rains on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? So this isn't about ascribing rightness. This isn't about picking a side. It's about remembering this. Believers, we say we have love for all who have love. But we also say we have love for all who have hate for all. And we have love for all who hate me. We say we have love for all who disagree with me. We have have love for all who would even kill me. We say we have love to all, and all we have is love. The reality is, most of us come into church with pre-existing beliefs about lots of different things. And the reality is is that people don't often stay in a church if they disagree or don't believe the same things as leadership or pastors. It's why we have an abundance of churches in this country. And some of that is good. Some of that is also really bad. So listen, the only authority that I have is the authority of Scripture. The only authority I possess as a pastor is the authority of the Word of God over me and over you. And I invoke my authority And I'm begging us to read the scriptures. I'm imploring us to seek its wisdom. Because hate and division and pride and rightness are not in there for those of Christ. We hold sound doctrine and truth. But we edify weakness and sacrifice and love and charity. We love love. 
But more than that, we love the God that made love. Patience and kindness and goodness and grace and truth and prayer are the only weapons that we possess as a people. The world needs our kindness and goodness more than ever. And it's time that we take that seriously. To put ourselves in the shoes of others. And it starts in no other place than inside of my heart and your heart. Christopher Wright, in his book called Cultivating the Fruits of the Spirit, writes two questions that are just excellent for us to consider. Two questions, one that says, what would I do for people if I were Christ? And the second is, what would I do for people if they were Christ? First, not enough because we might think being Christ, I'm in a position of authority. But what if they were Christ? How would we treat them? Let our goodness and kindness be what changes the flavor of this world. And let us be led by the Spirit who is building it in us and abide in Him. Because the world doesn't need me and my opinions as much as it needs Jesus. Let it start with us. Would you pray with me? Father, we are in a difficult time. And Anger and hatred and violence, they are trending upwards. And we can be fearful. We can throw judgment and rhetoric. But God, I pray for your spirit to break our hearts, to remember the kindness and goodness that you gave to us, that so woke us to you, that we would reflect that goodness and kindness to the world. So God, we are praying you are our only hope that you would ease the tension, that you would find a way where this thing doesn't blow up and violence is created. God, help good Christian people who love you more than themselves put down their swords and display the type of kindness and goodness that the world needs. And we ask this through the most powerful name of all, Jesus Christ. Amen.